Welcome to Coffee Talk with Linda. I'm Linda Davis. Thank you for joining me today. A little bit about myself before we get started. I love Jesus. I love coffee. And I love sharing both. So go grab your cup and let's talk. Have you ever looked outside and it's raining, but yet the sun's shining? And I mean, it's pouring out. And you say, wow, I didn't know it was supposed to rain. That wasn't in the forecast. That wasn't on my weather app, right? We know, we can see the percentage. We go onto our weather apps and we can see the percentage. Zero rain all day. No storms coming. Oh, 20% chance of rain at two, 40% at four, goes back down to 20 at six. And we kind of plan our day accordingly or our weekend, We check the weather if we're going on vacation. This is the week I'm going. This is what it's going to be like. So take that weather app and shift it to the things of life, the storms of life. Wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if each morning we could get up? Oh, a storm's coming today at 2 o'clock. You're going to get a phone call you aren't expecting to get. You're going to be blindsided around four. There's a 40% chance that you might be blindsided around 4 o'clock today. Then once 7 o'clock hits, It's all clear for the rest of the day. How differently would we prepare in our spiritual day if we knew what was coming? How would we embrace? What preparations would we take in advance? I guarantee you there'd be changes we make, but that's not how life is. We don't have an app to tell us when things are going to get difficult. We don't have an app to tell us, hey, it's going to be cloudy today, not quite sunny as you thought it was going to be. Not as nice as yesterday. Now, we don't have an app that tells us, hey, you're going to get really hurt today around 2 o'clock. We don't have an app that tells us, hey, around 9 o'clock tonight, you're going to get a devastating phone call. Life will never be the same after that. We don't have that. But what we do have is we have the Word of God. We have the anchor. We have the peace in the middle of the storm. We have that resting place in God. We have that trust that says, I know we're going to get through this. I know this is going to be used for your glory if I let it, so I'm going to let it. I know you're working something out in me. I know you're bringing me to another level. I mean, if we were in the middle of every storm we face in our lives and we looked at it in that capacity, if we looked at it, as this is going to work something good out in me. This is developing character in me, right? Uh, Just for a moment, think about what James chapter 1 says. Most of us are familiar with it. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, when things hit you that you weren't expecting, when the clouds roll in, or there were no clouds, it just starts thunderstorming and raining. Consider that all joy. Why? Because of this reason. It's the testing of your faith. And the testing of your faith produces endurance. And we don't like to think about it in the middle of it. We can get quite pitiful in the middle of it. But if we will step back in a moment and say, wait, no, I'm supposed to consider this joy. I don't feel like considering it joy, but I'm going to step back and look and see that my faith is being tested here and I'm going to pass this test. I'm not failing it. I'm going to have endurance produced in my life. And if we let, and this is in verse 4 of James chapter 1, if we let endurance have its perfect result, 
if we let, which means if we give permission, right? We can have storm after storm after storm in our life and never give it permission to have its perfect result. Then we'll be lacking nothing. And that's the whole thing. God is trying to bring us to a place of lacking nothing. I've said this before. Everything that I've been through in my life, and there's quite a list, truthfully, and I'm sure you have a list too. And in the moment, I would have done anything to change those circumstances that I found myself in. But now, having come through those things, having come to a different place in the Lord, a greater measure in the Lord, if I wouldn't have reached that greater measure in the Lord, if I got to miss out on this trial or that trial or that trial or that storm or that unexpected circumstance, I wouldn't change any of it if it meant I would not be where I am in the Lord today. So we need to know before the storm comes why the storm might be coming, what God's going to allow it to do in our lives. And that's by studying the word. That's by knowing James 1. It has a point and a purpose. So we need to know why these trials might take place so that we can come to a place of lacking nothing. And we need to know about God's character. We need to know who he is. Who is he? Is he trustworthy? Is he faithful? Is he our Abba Father? Do we believe God's going to do what he said he's going to do? If we can get anchored in these things before the storms hit, like you're better off having an umbrella in your car and not needing it for eight months, and then that one day you need it, you have it. Instead of never carrying an umbrella because it never rains, say you're in Arizona, or the deserts in California, or Nevada, and it never rains, so you don't ever have an umbrella, one day it's going to rain. And if you're without your umbrella, you're going to have a heavy impact. And so it's that way with the Lord. If we prepare beforehand, if we, if we study the word, if we know the word, if we have it down in us, if we worship God, if we become his best friend, if we understand who he is in the middle of trials and storms, if we understand the reasoning of trials and storms, then we're prepared when they come. We'll embrace them, actually, because we know it's working something in us. We don't want to look at it that way, but it's producing a good thing, something great to ask yourself in the middle of a frustrating moment, or I guess not ask yourself, but to pray to the Lord Show me the truth of this situation because I'm not seeing beyond myself right now. So I need your truth. I need to know what's going on here, Lord, because he knows the truth of the situation. Do we know anybody that hasn't had difficult seasons in their life, difficult moments in their life, have not had a crisis in their life? I I can't think of one person that I know that hasn't had a crisis. And if I could find somebody, they're probably about to enter a crisis. It's just not something we escape, basically. So, you know, we know the stories in the New Testament. Jesus was in the boat and the storm still hit the boat, right? He told his disciples to go across the Sea of Galilee and that they would make it to the other side. He never said what it was going to be like from one side to the other. And that's what we have to remember sometimes. We get pretty frustrated pretty quickly, I think. I mean, here the disciples are going back to them, going into the boat with Jesus and crossing over to the other side, 
right? I think sometimes we're like, well, but God, I walk with you and they don't, so I should have things easier than you. And we don't see that with the disciples, right? And in Mark chapter four, starting at verse 35, it says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, Let's, uh, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So it wasn't the only boat. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. Do you think Jesus had no idea this was coming? No, he didn't care because he rested and trusted in his Father at all times in all things. And that's what I was, we have to already be anchored in that place. I'm gonna trust at all times in all things. So verse, and there rose a fierce gale of wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And I love this. And we don't do this truthfully, but we should, right? Remember the bracelets? What would Jesus do? <laughs> He'd sleep in the boat. We should sleep in the boat. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, teacher, you do not care that we are perishing. Have we ever said that to Jesus? Yes, we have. You do not care about my moment right now. You do not care about what's going on. Do you even see me? Probably in less threatening, maybe not, but probably in less threatening situations than this. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the wind, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Why is it that you have no faith? In one sense, do you not understand the power of the word of God? Do you not get it? Here we are, we're in this storm, a serious storm at that. And the disciples, they were afraid. And they were, like Jesus said, they were faithless in that moment. Is all they could see was what their physical eyes could see. And if, if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you've heard me say, we gotta see beyond our circumstances. We have to see what God is seeing. Jesus himself said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing. We have to see the truth of every single situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. We have to. Do we find ourselves having sleepless nights when we're in a difficult circumstance? Are we tossing and turning? I'm sure we've all said that, man, I slept terrible last night. I couldn't stop thinking about this, worrying about that, might, what might happen, what might not happen. I just couldn't get to sleep. I you know, it kept running over in my mind. There's no peace. There's no rest. There's no trust. We didn't get to peek at the weather app. Even if we did, maybe we still worry anyways, but we don't know how the situation's gonna turn out. But God knows, and we have to ask him to show us the truth about situations and circumstances. And even if he'll just say, just trust me, then we have to just trust him. And if nothing else, say, Lord, I know you're using this to perfect my endurance, to test my faith. I trust you. There's been seasons in my life where just all day I couldn't say anything else other than I trust you. I choose to trust you. I'm making the choice to trust you because if I don't trust you, I'm going to fall apart right here. So I trust you. I'm going to trust that you know better than I know. Just like us with our own kids, right? We know better than they know. We know better than they know. We know better than somebody 10 years younger than us knows because we've already been through circumstances 
We can see the end from the beginning. Our kids can't. People that are just simply younger than us can't because they haven't been where we have already been. That's why the Bible says for the older to teach the younger because they've already been, they already know, they have so much wisdom to pour out. If they just had listening ears to receive and hear it. How do we handle the storms? How do we handle the struggles, especially the things that blindside us? Well, certainly Matthew 6.33 comes to mind. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He goes on to say in verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just seek me. Pursue me and my righteousness. Walk in holiness. And don't worry about it. I'll help you deal with whatever comes your way. As a result of seeking me and walking in righteousness, that word righteousness, when you study it out, means right standing with God. Are you in right standing with God? Are you being spirit-led? Are you letting him have his way? Have your way, Lord. The when matters and the how matters. Are you going to do what God said to do when he says to do it? And are you going to do it how he says to do it? The when is important. The obedience is important. And the how. The how is also obedience. The when is obedience. When you do this, when you seek me with all your heart, when you seek out my righteousness, in other words, when you seek out to walk in right standing with me, you won't have to worry about tomorrow because I'll be there with you in tomorrow. We get worried about stuff that may or may not ever even happen, actually, which is, you know, a waste, basically, because there's enough that actually does happen. Let's not get so caught up in the difficulty of a situation that we forget who God is We forget all of where he brought us from and we can't get to where we're going as a result. And I want to leave you with this example of uh, somebody walking with God because that, you know, that's the thing. Like I just said with this 630, Matthew 633, right? We're seeking first the kingdom of God. We're pursuing, uh, we desire, we first, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We're doing all that It it doesn't say it protects us from tomorrow because it tells us in verse 34, today has enough trouble of its own. So we get into that that, um, mindset, I guess, that if we do these things, no trouble befalls us, no storm befalls us, and that's not truth. We have this situation going on in 1 Kings, right? Elijah, he is a prophet of the Lord. He's obedient to the Lord. Whatever, he has so much faith and trust in God. He's, he's on a roll. I mean, he, he's about to hit a high of being used by God. And it's in um, 1 Kings chapter 18. And there comes this conflict of whose God is really God. Is God really God or is Baal really God? And Elijah is basically asking the people, like, how long are you going to hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord's God, follow him. And if Baal's your God, follow him. Like, do something. 
Don't we do that? Don't we bounce around between two opinions? You know, we want to be comfortable with the Lord world. We want to look like the world, but we also want God in our lives. We want that relationship. We want that protection, that security, you know, but we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it also. We can't, we can't be of those two opinions. You know, there's that scripture in Corinthians that says, you you can't sit at both tables. You can't. And that's basically what Elijah is telling the people here. So the people don't answer him when he says this. And I'm in um, 1 Kings 18, down at verse 21, 22. Elijah says to the people, I alone am left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. So now, in other words, I'm outnumbered big time. Let them give us two oxen and let them choose one for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, right? And I'm not going to read all of this for sake of time, but you call on the name of your God and I'll call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people thought it was a great idea. So Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, choose the ox and and get all that preparation, right? That you can go read it in 1 Kings 18. So all this is done and they pray, And they call on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Of course, there's no voice. No one answers. They leaped around the altar that they made. Now Elijah begins to mock them, which I'm not quite sure. He should have done that, but whatever. He does. And he tells them, well, maybe you need to call out with a louder voice, right? He's God. Either he's occupied or he's gone somewhere else or he's on a journey, (laughs) right? Maybe he's busy with something else. So they cry with a loud voice. They cut themselves according to their custom with swords. Blood is gushing out on them, thinking that this is going to cause their God to respond. It doesn't, of course. No voice, no fire, no answer. So now it's Elijah's turn. And he takes the 12 stones and he gets everything all set up. He builds an altar. He even goes beyond what the prophets of Baal did. He goes further than they went. He builds a trench around it and fills four pitches with water and pours it on the burnt offering, on the wood, right? We all know wood drenched in water is not going to light up with fire, has to be dried out. Then Elijah tells them, do it a second time. Do it a third time, by the way. So now we get to the time of the evening sacrifice and Elijah prays to the Lord. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. He's not doing this to prove his God's better. His heart motive is right. He wants these people to know who the real God is. So the fire of the Lord falls and consumes the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, everything. And it licked up the water. So all the people fall on their faces. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. That's in 1 Kings 18, 39. Okay, so all this has happened. A great moment, a great moment for Elijah. Everything's good. And so now we jump over to chapter 19. Actually, in 1 Kings 18, 46, it says, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girds up his loins and he outruns Ahab to Jezreel. Somehow Elijah knew trouble was about to come. That goes back to us being prepared, knowing the word, hearing God's voice. Sometimes he'll let us know we need to get out of Dodge. But even if he doesn't and we're blindsided, we need to rest and trust in him. So all this great has happened. And I'm setting that up to show you this. Now 
Ahab in chapter 19 goes and tells Jezebel all that's taken place. And she's not happy about this at all. And she wants to take Elijah's life. And she sends word to Elijah in verse two saying, she sends a message to him saying, so may the gods do to me and even more if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And all of a sudden now, Elijah, who literally just called on the name of the Lord and caused fire to come down and, and scorch a soaked offering, burnt offering, wood soaked, even, even the water, and saw this take place. Now he's afraid for his life and he runs for his life. Doesn't make any sense. Now he's in panic mode. And we've done this ourselves in our own lives. We're going along great. Everything's good. We see God show up in this moment. We're on fire. We Nothing's ever going to take us down. Nothing's ever going to cause us to doubt God. Nothing's ever going to make us step back. And then all of a sudden something happens and we are like the disciples in the boat where Jesus is like, where was your faith? <laughs> where was your faith? Elijah, where is your faith? Where is your trust? Where is your confidence in the Lord? I mean, he's running and hiding. He goes a day's journey into the wilderness. He wants to die. He's become so desperate in this moment, he would rather die. He literally says in verse 4 of chapter 19 that he came and sat under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. He says to God, it is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. What on earth has happened? He has significantly shifted and forgot who his God is. And the encouraging thing about this is to show us it happens to everyone. We all get rattled, but we still have to cry out to God. And so Elijah gets up and he goes to a cave and down in verse nine, and he hides in this cave. And the awesome thing is when we love and serve God, he's not gonna leave us in our caves. He's not gonna leave us in our storms. He's not, he's going to provide a way out. He's going to call us out of that cave. Will we stand up and walk out of it? What do you choose to do? Elijah had a choice, right? The Lord shows up in verse nine and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? He's calling him out. What happened? Just the other day, you're calling my fire down from heaven and showing everybody who the real God is. Now you're hiding in a cave in fear and desperation and you want to die? And Elijah's kind of like, I call this the wah-wahs, right? He's basically telling God how great he was and how he doesn't deserve this. And he's done all this great stuff. And, you know, he was so obedient. And now Jezebel wants to kill him. And woe is me. That's what's going on here. I've been very zealous for the Lord, for the sons of Israel, uh, for the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel. They've forsaken your covenant. It's like when we point to the person down the street, they they don't even walk in obedience. They don't even tithe. Do, they, go, they do this, they do that. Have you seen what they're doing, Lord? I do all this. Why am I going through a more difficult time than them? Your covenant, this is the Israelites he's talking about. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets. And I alone am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. He's basically crying and complaining to the Lord. And the Lord's like, get up and go. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Go stand on the mountain before the Lord. And this is the thing you can't miss. Elijah gets up and does what God said. Even in his desperation, even in the storm, he responds to what God is saying. 
he cries out and he responds. Maybe he wanted God to just give him a little uh, pity agreement tap on his shoulder and say, I know, Elijah, you've been so amazing. I'm so sorry. Let me just fix everything for you. But instead, he makes him go out to the mountain and stand on the mountain. And of course, the Lord passes by with a strong wind. And then the Lord's not in the wind. And then an earthquake. And the Lord's not in the earthquake. And then a fire, but the Lord's not in the fire. And then a gentle blowing. And in the gentle blowing, Elijah hears it, wraps his face in his mantle, and he steps out of the entrance of the cave. And when he steps out of the entrance of the cave, he is asked the same question again, but I believe he can hear louder now. What are you doing here, Elijah? He responds the same way, Elijah. So he's still in the same place. He's in the same storm emotionally. And God responds to him with his next directive. I mean, Elijah's in a terrible place here. And God says, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel king over Aram. And he gives him all these directions. And the whole point of all this that I don't want you to miss is Elijah, like things are going awesome. And then all of a sudden something shifts and he loses his place and he panics and he gets in fear and he, he wants the Lord to just take his life. He's so desperate and he's hiding in a cave and God calls him out and he responds to that. And then God gives him direction and he responds to that. And then he shifts and he ends up receiving the double portion mantle of Elisha. But he had a choice when he was in that cave. And we'll have a choice when we get in our caves too. Two things I want this to do. I wanted to encourage you that no matter, no matter who we are, no matter how great things are going, we can get tripped up and we can get discouraged. We can get in fear. We can have our feelings hurt. We can want to hide in a cave. We have our own caves we hide in. This was a physical cave, but we've got them too. But when God calls you out, what are you going to do? When God says, come out, what are you going to do? When God says, now go to this place, in other words, leave the pitiful place you're in, rise up and get to the next place. What are you going to do? For Elijah, he had that choice and he, relie- he receives the double portion mantle from Elisha, who he ends up seeing on his way, following the directions that God gave him, returning on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And so all that Elijah went through was to bring him to the next place, was to shift him to the next season. Every storm I've been through in my life, every unexpected difficult season has always shifted me to a new place in the Lord. So whether we see the clouds forming, whether we're looking at the weather app spiritually and we know something's coming around too, or we got it completely wrong and it showed sunshine and we got blindsided, God knows. Be honest with him with your heart Let him show you and let him direct you and respond in obedience and you will step into the very next thing he has for you. 